From Vintage City Church in Fort Collins, Colorado, it's the Vintage Podcast. dive into 1 Corinthians 16, and it's an important day in our journey in 1 Corinthians because it's our last day in our journey in 1 Corinthians. We're finishing up the book, and we started our journey in 1 Corinthians. We've been going verse by verse all the way through it. We started this journey really because Paul uses this book in a unique way. He's helping this young Corinthian culture really learn what it means to become the family of God, and so that's the journey we've been on. And so I'm going to dive in and read the rest of what we're going to look at today, and then we'll spend some time breaking it down. Beginning in verse 13, be on guard, stand true to what you believe, be courageous, be strong. Everything you do must be done with love. You know that Stephanus and his household were the first to become Christians in Greece, and they're spending their lives in service to other Christians. I urge you, dear brothers and sisters, to respect them fully and others like them who serve with such real devotion. And I'm so glad that Stephanus and Fortunatus and Acacius have come here They've been making up for the help you weren't here to give me. They have been a wonderful encouragement to me, and they have been to you as well. You must give proper honor to all who serve so well. The churches here in the province of Asia greet you heartily in the Lord, along with Achilla and Priscilla and the others who gather in their home for church meetings. All the brothers and sisters have asked me to greet you for them. Greet each other in Christian love. Here's my greeting, which I write with my own hand, Paul. If anyone does not love the Lord, that person is cursed. Our Lord, come. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we love this moment where you step in and you begin to lead us and guide us, and that's our heart cry, that you would bring revelation, you'd show us things that we need that promote godliness in our lives and help us become the people you've called us to be. Bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul steps in. There's a few things I want to break down. One is he's talking about Stephanus and Fortunatus and Acacius, some names of some people that he's highlighting. And what I want to highlight is not the names of the people, but I want to highlight what he's saying. He's giving them a principle that I want us to become good at, what us to learn. He's talking about what it is to give honor, what it is to call out faithfulness. And I think that's something all of us can become great at, learning how to just do the simple work of coming alongside of those that serve faithfully. Think about it. Most of you this morning probably walked by people that were opening doors for you. That moment, even though it's, it's, it's simple, what a moment to just stop and go, thank you. Thank you for how faithfully you serve. Think about all the different nuances in the house of God, all the different things. That's what Paul's talking about. He's not even saying what they were doing. We don't know what they were doing. Maybe they cooked food. Maybe they taught scripture. We don't know. But what he's talking about is creating a culture within our family where we give honor to people who serve, where we're grateful for it, and we, we pour into them gratitude. Now, how many have ever cooked a meal for somebody? How many appreciate when they say, thank you? It's not that you needed it. It's just nice to know you're appreciated. And I would love to say in the household of faith, in the family of God, our Father likes it when we're gracious to each other. He likes it when we do the work of building each other up. Because how do we know? Like for some of of you, maybe like me, how many have days where you're like, this is just not my day? Have you had one of those? 
And you're like, it's not my day, but I'm just going to be faithful today because I know that's what dad wants, right? How many know in that moment, think about it, let's say, let's say you're, it's, it's your day to be that greeter, and he woke up, and you just know it's one of those kind of like, yeah, it's that day. I should just pull the covers over my head and call it a day. And somebody walks up and says, hey, you know what? I appreciate your faithfulness. Thank you for the way you serve. All of a sudden, it brightens their spirit, and I want us to become the family that does that well, not just here, everywhere we go. I don't care if you're in Target or King Supers or you're at school. Become a people that are great at calling out effective service and faithfulness. Become a people that are great at honoring those who serve faithfully. It will change the dynamics of the world around you. How many would agree this is a healthy statement? God probably expects us to be conduits of kindness. God probably expects his kids to speak for him. I mean, you guys, you guys checked out on that one. God probably expects his kids to speak for him. What do we think the father would say when he walked into somebody's life? Would he say, yeah, sure, hold that door? Or would he say, thank you so much for doing that. I appreciate what you do. You're making a difference. And he's, he's spreading that. Make sense? Are you doing good? Straight crickets. Are you all right? I need that emoji. I just put the cricket on the screen with a question mark. All right, so let's dive in here. I want to call out the first phrase that I think that really is important for us to highlight is this phrase, and everything you do must be done with love. Because Paul is, is laying this letter out, and, and he's, it's, his, it's the end of the letter. It's his, it's his greetings, his salutations, and he's basically saying to them, what I think are the things that are important for them to know in case he never gets to see them again. The day, the time that they live in, it's very likely, as Paul pens this letter, that he's not going to have the privilege of being with them again. So he's giving them words to live by is really what we looked at last week. But this phrase, and everything you do must be done with love, is an important phrase for us. Paul's actually qualifying behavior with this phrase. The first portion of it, and everything you do. This word everything in the Greek is the word pos, and it means everything, all, or whole. The phrase you do deals with the outflow of our lives. It's the things we create, or the, thing, the things we produce, it's really in its totality. If we were going to say, so what, what part of my life does this affect? The answer is all of it. Everything, newsflash, means everything. So Paul's qualifying their behavior. He's saying, look, everything you do. So we could right now put a line in the sand and say, beyond this moment, I am getting, I'm getting ready to receive something that tells me how to live the rest of my life. Think about that. What we're going to talk about becomes a behavior qualifier for the rest of our life. Now, sometimes we don't appreciate being told what to do. But I want to encourage us to not have that mindset. Push pause on that and go, all right, Lord, I'm ready. Tell me what you want me to do. This phrase must be done. There's some things that I want to highlight in this that are important. Greek, like most languages has nuances that you would not be able to understand when you read it. It would be more easily understood when it's spoken. We, we learn these nuances through things like tense and voicing and mood. So I want to look at the tense, the voicing, and the mood of this phrase must be done because they're important. The tense is present, and it's to be understood as we would understand present tense in English. It concerns now and things into the future. So I would say it's a current to forward condition. So what he's saying is 
from where you're at now moving forward, this is how I want you to live. The middle voice is to be understood as something that is the proprietary responsibility of an individual. So if we were going to talk about, let's say, Johnny's getting ready for school, and we said the, the boy groomed himself. We know that Johnny was doing something, and it dealt with, he was doing it to himself. So the, in, in this voice, the action's being done by the subject. And you're like, I did not know we were going to learn English and Greek in church. <laughs> Understanding the way the scriptures were written helps us understand how to apply them. It's the imperative mood, the mood of what Paul says that is where this, this statement gets teeth. It's in the imperative, which is to be understood as a command, very similar to the way a soldier would take orders. It's not to be understood or discerned as a suggestion. Paul's not saying, I want you to consider this idea. Paul's saying, I want you to do this. And actually, I'm giving you an order, do this. Everything you do must be, from here on out, you will do it this way, is really what Paul's saying. You're going to do it in love. And the word here for love is agapeo, or agape love. We're used to that. The root definition is brotherly love, affection, benevolence. I think the easiest way to understand it, if we just put it in simple terms, it's love that lives for the benefit of another. must be done in love. This word in here in the Greek is an important word in the text. It's a positional term, which means to place something into. So Paul says your behavior must be placed in love before it's lived out. If I could paraphrase it a little bit, give it a little bit more clarity in English, in every situation you find yourself in, do not allow any behavior that's not fully covered in love. Now that is a very strong statement. What I hate about that statement, if I, Greg Sanders, am being very honest, is it leaves no room for how I feel and it leaves no room for how I think about a situation. It means that for the rest of my days, if I'm gonna live obedient to the scriptures, I am going to modify my behavior to line up with the text. So when I wake up and I'm not feeling so lovey-dovey, it doesn't matter because I'm going to be obedient and I'm going to live in love towards the world. And Paul doesn't say, hey, towards those people that are close to you, live in love. He says everything you do, the whole, the total, every outflow of your life, whether you're at work, whether you're at school, whether you're in the grocery store, whether you're driving, I need that one. Newsflash, I drive and I feel like it's a race all the time. I'm working on it. Working on how to pass people quickly in love. But everything we do, Paul says, every outworking of your life, no matter what it is, has to be, must be, will be done in love. What that tells me is there is no room for us to not live in love. That living in love is not about being a good person. Living in love is about being obedient. I know it's tough, but I could say it this way. Jesus, through Paul, is saying to the church, I am making no allowance 
for you to not be loving. As a reflection of me, you will be loving. And I would submit to us that if we, family at Vintage, would take that to heart, that it would revolutionize our homes, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, it would revolutionize our city. Because the world around us would start to see something that they've never seen before, which is a disciplined people that are governed by love. A people that are so disciplined and so governed, they've made no allowance for how they feel. They've shut it down in a very healthy way and said, I will live obedient to Jesus, period. I think Jesus intended for us, his family, to be a nonstop agency of love to where we would infect and invade the culture with love, that we live for the benefit of others. So we're living our entire lives with this question, how do I help? What's lacking? What needs to be filled? And in the midst of that, we've quit asking the question, what about me? What's in it for me? And we've basically made a declaration, Lord, I trust you with me, I'll live for others. I wish I could soften it, but that is what the scripture teaches. Everything you do is going to be agape. Your entire life is about living for the benefit of others. Which means we have to reconcile. It's not about me. Say that phrase with me. Try it. See if it's helpful. It's not about me. All right, let me help us get unified. On the count of three. One, two, three. The only way I know how to do that is to be able to draw from him regularly. Because there's going to be moments where it feels like it should be about you. And I think Paul is building up to something. Maybe we could ask, what's the motivation? Why? Why do I have to live that way? He makes a statement at the end that says, if anyone does not love the Lord, that person is cursed. If anyone does not love the Lord, that person is cursed. It's a very, very strong statement. We live in a day and an age where the common belief set is this is a faith and there's lots of faiths. There are multiple paths to God and this is just one of them. And Paul will come out and make this incredibly brazen statement. Anyone who does not love the Lord is cursed. This, the word for love here is phileo. It's not agape. It's different. The word literally is a word that's used to describe intimate friendship. If anyone is not friends with Jesus, they're cursed. And it's easy for us to hear this and almost draw out of it some kind of punitive punishment type of statement. And I, I'm not a fan of those. You know the things that are, the, the, the rhetoric rises up. We're like, yeah, yeah, they're, if they don't love the Lord, they're out. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's making a statement of fact that I think should grip us. Because it's so common for us to believe I love Jesus, but there's some other paths. You know, there's some other places. It's all, we're all trying to get to the same place. Jesus makes a statement that is very different than that. Jesus on the earth will make a statement that says, I am the way, the truth, the life. Nobody gets to the Father except through me. There is no path to God except through me. That's Jesus' statement. And we wrestle with the strength of that because it feels so polarizing Church, we follow one of the most polarizing figures in the world. We follow a man who stood publicly and said, there is no other option. In fact, if you try to get there a different way, you're a thief and a robber. I'm it. 
It's all me. He was either right or he was crazy. There is no middle ground. And Paul's statement affirms what Jesus said. And the problem with with this statement is, if Jesus' statement is, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and we as believers are like, yes, I believe, then we have to be a people that open the scriptures and will say this, I'm suspending my want to, my thoughts, my belief set, and I'm just going to let his words lead me, not how I want to live, lead me. There has to be a discipline and a growth in us to where we surrender our lives fully and say, Jesus, because you are it, I'm giving you full authority in my life, and how your word says to live is how I'm going to live. How you whisper is what I'm going to follow. I've talked about this before, using reciprocal statements to understand scripture better. So we look at the statement, if anyone does not love the Lord, that person is cursed. Let's look at the reciprocal value, which is the total opposite of it, because it'll help undergird it. The reciprocal value is this. If anyone becomes a legitimate friend of God, they have become blessed family. See, blessed family... Yeah, because the word for cursed here is anathema in the Greek. And it literally means to be outside of the camp. And I would love to submit to us that the heart cry of our father is that he loved the world so much that he sent his only son because he wanted every single child to be in the camp. He had no desire for them to be outside the camp. And so Paul's statement here, not as a punishing statement or a punitive statement, but as a statement of fact, Paul's saying to this young Corinthian church, I need you to understand, if they don't love God, if they haven't built a friendship with God, the reality is they're not in the camp, and I want you to live in love every moment of your life because they're watching your life, and what they need to see is people that are so radically consumed by God that it causes them to come in. You see, because those who have not come into a personal friendship with Jesus are living in a different reality. They're not part of the kingdom. The goal is not emotion in this. The goal for me is for us to have a moment where we consider the reality of this (laughs) statement. I've been graced by God to come into this relationship, to be invited into friendship. And it is the desire of my Father that none perish, that none are left outside the camp. And we wrestle with the weight of, the, of a statement that says, there is a line in the sand. There is an in and there is an out. And we live in a day and a time where that feels, it feels strange to have something made that, that, that is that clear cut and obvious. Church, I don't want us to fixate on that. I want us to fixate on the live in love part to say, as for me, I'm going to spend my life prioritizing and serving other people so that they can see the revolution that's happened inside of me. And so that maybe through my love, they'll be invited into this same friendship. And maybe it'll become a little bit easier for them to step into that moment with Jesus, not because of what I say, but because of how I live. There's a quote that I've loved for most of my life, and, and the, the quote's from one of the early church fathers, and, and, and it's just preach the gospel at all times 
when necessary, use words. Preach the gospel at all times. Could I tell us our lives declare what we believe? And to the measure that I believe Jesus is who he said he was, I will modify my behavior and love people. Now I'll tell you where Greg Sanders lives in this. I don't like it at all. I wonder regularly, could my family say, we live with a man who's been so convinced of the kingdom that he modifies his behavior to be loving? And before we do the thing that we love to do, which is like, it's, it's okay, don't be hard on yourself. Everybody makes mistakes. Yes, we do. But I wonder if we will hold ourselves to the line we need to. Paul's statement isn't a suggestion. He says to us, the church family, everything you do, do it in love. And I just want us to sit in the strength of that statement and ask this question of ourselves. As we close up Corinthians, to be willing to say this, can I say everything I do is done in love? Can my family around me say everything I do is done in love? Can my boss say, everything I do, I do in love? Can my teachers say, everything I do, I do in love? Will my neighbors say, everything I do, I do in love? And church, the, the honest, difficult truth of that is this. If the answer to that is no, we need to repent and fix it. Because the mandate of scripture is very clear. Everything you do, do it in love. There's no margin of suggestion in it. There's no place where Paul says, look, I know you're good people and I know you got these areas that are super screwed up. It's cool, just keep working. Paul calls us to expect excellence from ourselves. I would say he calls us to demand it from ourselves. That I should be able to look myself in the mirror and say, Greg Sanders, you are a child of God. You've been redeemed by Jesus. You will love people, Period. And those moments when I'm having, anybody have those moments where you're, you're too much of you is getting out? Those have to be moments that I will stop, take a deep breath, get face to face with Jesus and say, I'm screwing up right now. I need you to deal with my attitude, deal with my heart because the world out here that you loved enough to die for deserves me to love them. Let's stand this morning. Thanks for listening. For more great content, please visit us on the web at VintageCityChurch.com.